0: part one chapter eight of war and peace by leo tolstoy translated by nathan haskell doyle this LibriVox recording is in the public domain recording by Marianne. prince vasili fulfilled the promise which he had made to the princess drubetskaya when she asked him on the evening of anna pavlovna's reception to help her only son boris the request had been preferred to the emperor and contrary to the experience of many others he was allowed to enter the semyonovsky regiment of the guard as ensign but in spite of all anna mikhailovna's efforts and intrigues boris failed of his employment as adjutant or attache to Kutuzov. shortly after anna pavlovna's reception the princess returned to moscow and went straight to her rich relations the Rostovs, at whose house she always stayed when visiting in moscow and where her idolized borenka had been educated from early childhood and had lived some years waiting to be transferred from the line to his position as ensign of the guard the guard had already left petersburg on the twenty second of august and the young man delayed in moscow by his uniform and outfit was to join his regiment at Redzavilov. the rostofs were celebrating the fete day of the mother and the youngest daughter both of whom were named natalia since morning there had been an unceasing stream of carriages coming and going with guests who brought their congratulations to the countess's great mansion on the Povarskaya, so well known to all moscow the countess herself and her eldest daughter a beautiful girl were in the drawing-room receiving the guests whose places were constantly filled by newcomers. the countess rostova was a woman of forty-five of a thin oriental type of countenance and evidently worn out by her cares as mother of a family of a dozen children. Her deliberateness of motion and speech, which arose from her lack of strength, gave her a certain appearance of dignity that commanded respect. The Princess Anna Mikhailovna Drubetskaya, in her capacity of friend of the family, was also in the drawing-room, helping to receive the company and join in the conversation. The young people were in the rear-rooms, not considering it incumbent upon them to take part in receiving the visitors. The count met the guests, and escorted them to the door again, urging them all to dine with him. Very, very much obliged to you, ma chère, or mon cher. Ma chère and mon cher, he said to all without exception, without the slightest shadow of difference whether his guests stood high or low in the social scale. Much obliged to you for myself and for my dear ones, whose name-day we are celebrating. See here, I come back to dinner. You'll affront me if you do not, mon cher. Cordially I invite you, and my whole family join with me, mon cher. These words he repeated to all, without exception or variation, with an unchanging expression on his round, jolly, and clean-shaven countenance, and with a monotonously firm grip of the hand, and with repeated short bows. Having escorted a guest to his carriage, the count would return to this, that or the other visitor still remaining in the drawing-room dropping down on a chair with the aspect of a man who understands and enjoys the secret of life he would cross his legs in boyish fashion lay his hands on his knees and shaking his head significantly would send forth his conjectures concerning the weather or exchange confidences about health sometimes speaking in russian sometimes in very exorable but self-confident french and then again with the air of a weary man was nevertheless bound to fulfil all obligations he would go to the door with still another departing guest straightening the thin gray hairs on his bald head and dutifully proffering the invitations to dinner sometimes returning through the entry to the drawing-room he would pass through the conservatory and butler's room to the great marble hall where covers were laid for eighty guests and glancing at the butlers who were bringing the silver and china setting the tables and unfolding the damask table linen he would call to him Dmitry Veselyevich, a man of noble family, who had charge of all his affairs, and would say, Well, well, Mitenka, see that everything is all right. That's good. That's good, he would say, glancing with satisfaction on the huge extension table. The principal thing is the service. Very good. Very good. And with a deep sigh of satisfaction, he would go back to the drawing-room once more. Maria Lavovna Karagin and her daughter— announced the countess's footman, in a thundering bass voice, coming to the door. The countess was thoughtful for a moment, and took a pinch of snuff from a gold snuff-box ornamented with a portrait of her husband. "'I am tired to death of these callers,' said she. "'Well, this is the last one I shall receive. She is very affected. Ask her to come in,' she said to the footman, in a mournful voice, as though her words had been, "'If I must be killed, kill me now,' A tall, portly, haughty-looking lady in a rustling train came into the drawing room, followed by her round-faced, smiling young daughter. Dear Countess, it has been such a long time. She has been ill in bed. Le pauvre enfant. Ubele de raso musqui. Et la comtesse a proxine. Je si oriza. Such were the phrases spoken by lively feminine voices. And mingling with the rustle of silks and the moving of chairs, that sort of conversation had begun, which is, by unanimous consent, manoeuvred in such a way that at the first pause, the visitor is ready to get up with the rustling garments to murmur, "Je sais bien, Charme," la santé de maman, à la comtesse à Praxine," and again with rustling garments, to be to retreat into the entry, to throw on the shuba or the cloak, and to depart. The conversation was turning on the chief item of city news at that time, namely, the illness of the famous old Count Buzakoy, one of the richest and handsomest men of Catherine's time, and also about his illegitimate son, Pierre, the same young man who had behaved in such an unseemly manner at Anna Pavlovna's reception. "'I am very sorry for the old Count,' said one of the ladies. "'His health is so wretched, and now to have to suffer this mortification on account of his son,' "'It will be the death of him.' "'What is that?' asked the countess, as though she were not aware of what the visitor was talking about, although she had heard fifty times already the cause of Count Bezukhoi's mortification. "'It all comes from the present system of education—sending them abroad,' pursued the lady. "'This young man has been left to shift for himself, and now they say that he has been carrying on so horribly in Petersburg that the police had to interfere and send him out of the city.' pray tell us about it urged the countess he made a bad choice of friends remarked the princess anna mikhailovna prince vasili's son this pierre and a young man named dolokhof they say have been doing heaven only knows what but all of them have had to suffer for it dolokhof has been reduced to the ranks and bezakhoi's son has been sent to moscow and Anatol kuragin has been taken in charge by his father at all events, he has been sent away from Petersburg. Yes, but what is it, pray, that they did? asked the countess. They acted like perfect cut-throats, especially Dolokhov, said the visitor. He is a son of Maria Ivanovna Dolokhova, such an excellent woman. Just think of it. Can you imagine it? The three of them somehow got hold of a bear, took it with them into a carriage, and carried it to the house of some actresses the police hastened to apprehend them they seized the officer and tied him back to back to the bear and then threw the bear into the moskva the bear started to swim with the police officer on his back capital cher! what a figure this officer must have cut cried the count bursting with laughter oh how terrible what can you find to laugh at count but the ladies had to laugh in spite of themselves "'It was with difficulty that they rescued the unfortunate man,' pursued the visitor. "'And to think that a son of Count Kirill Vladimirovich Vezakoy should find amusement in such intellectual pursuits,' she added sarcastically. "'But they say that he is so well-educated and so clever. That shows what educating young men abroad makes of them. I hope that no one will bring him here, though he is so rich. They wanted to give him an introduction to me. I most decidedly refused.' I have daughters you know what made you say that this young man was so rich asked the countess bending away from the younger ladies who immediately pretended not to hear what she was saying you see he has only illegitimate children it appears and pierre is also illegitimate the guest waved her hand i imagine he has a score of them the princess anna mikhailovna took part in the conversation with the evident desire of showing off her powerful connections and her acquaintance with all the details of high life this is the truth of the matter said she significantly and also in a half whisper count kirill vladimirovitch's reputation is notorious as for his children he has lost count of them but this pierre was his favorite how handsome the old man said the countess and only last year too i never saw a handsomer man "'Now he is very much changed,' said Anna Mikhailovna. "'As I was going to say, on his wife's side, Prince Vasily is the direct heir to all his property. But the old man is very fond of Pierre, has taken great pains with his education, and has written to the Emperor about him, so that no one knows if he should die. He is so weak that it may happen any moment, and Dr. Lorraine has come up from Petersburg. No one knows, I say, which will get his colossal fortune.' pierre or prince vasili he has forty thousand souls and millions i know all about this because prince vasili himself told me yes and besides kirill vladimirovitch is my great uncle on my mother's side and he is also boris's godfather she added pretending that she attributed no significance to this circumstance prince vasili came to moscow yesterday he is on some official business i was told said the guest "Yes." But entre nous, said the princess, it's a mere pretext. He has come principally on account of Count Kirill Vladimirovitch, because he knew that he was so sick. At all events, mon cher, that's a splendid joke, said the count. And perceiving that the elderly visitor did not hear him, he turned his attention to the young ladies. Charming figure, that cut by the police officer, I can imagine it. And as he waved his arms in imitation of the unfortunate police officer, he again burst into a ringing bass laugh, which made his portly frame fairly shake, as is the way with men who always live well, and especially those who indulge in generous wines. So glad to have you dine with us, said he. End of chapter 8